0: Hey y'all, Oscar here. Just a very quick reminder that as we enter our ninth year of We Like Movies, it really does us a solid if you give us a rating, a review, a subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Stitcher, we're even on Spotify now, so we appreciate your continued support, just help us spread the word. Happy 2019! What are we waiting for? Let me have your attention for a moment. Let's
1: talk about something important. Now, we're talking business. Let's talk business.
0: Yeah, let's talk business. Oh, you guys like to tell jokes and giggle and kid around, huh? I'm talking about
1: form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. It's too serene, Will. We're trying to make a movie and not a film. We have a new category this year. Best film ever made by a human being. You should have gotten. Oscar,
0: who are you working for? The Knutsons. Who, who the f- are the Knutsons? These are big movies, think about big men in tights. Roll that motherfucking camera, Wolfie. Kiss my ass. Yeah. We like movies. This is business, and this man is taken a very, very personal. Hello, everybody. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies. The end of the spielberg oeuvre this is going to be our ranking episode we're going to go through our personal rankings of all 32 films we've covered in this series uh plus some bonus top five lists at the end man this is bittersweet you seem you seem sad you seem (laughs) downright depressed
1: i i think i've been preparing for this conversation for my entire life (laughs) i don't there's very few things very few experiences in life where i feel uh Legitimately qualified.
0: It's this and the and the Bond series we did.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. And and in a few minutes they'll both be behind me and it'll all be downhill from there <laughs> <laughs> until we get around to another Mission Impossible movie. Then I might actually be qualified again. Okay. Yeah. Okay. When when McQuarrie finally d- d- does his next double header because apparently he's making the next two Bond or uh, Mission Impossible
0: movies. As we discussed in the last episode, Spielberg has three billion dollars. He might live to be 140 and make 32 more movies. So, you know, if, if that comes to pass, then we'll be in our 60s and 70s and uh, doing another podcast, right? I don't think I did the math right there, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> well, he was signed to Universal Television in 1968, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right after, because I think he made Amblin. Well, I think he, was, I think he made Amblin in 1968, and then uh, he started working for Universal Television in 1969 is exactly 50 years ago right yeah so he's been working steadily he's been in the entertainment industry legitimately for 50 years Mm -hmm. and he's made 32 feature films we didn't include twilight zone the movie because he only did a piece of that yeah. and we also didn't include poltergeist because he's kind of like the unofficial we're, we're strictly we're sticking strictly to the imdb mm-hmm. feature film directorial projects this time around and while he may not necessarily boast the numbers of a woody allen or even a clint eastwood mm-hmm. in terms of just or a steven soderberg in terms of consistency 32 movies in 50 ish years yeah pretty impressive, right? Especially when you consider the fact that some of those years were multiple movie years.
0: It's extremely impressive. I mean, he's been sort of metronomic throughout his entire career, and, you know, he takes little two, three-year breaks when he wants to, but uh, he keeps coming back, and he keeps surprising you, and, you know, there's there's hits and misses all the way through, but, uh, you know, as we got to the end there, he's still... He clearly still has it. He's got something. He definitely has the drive. He's definitely not phoning it in.
1: He still seems hungry. And the fact that a 72-year-old man could direct something like Ready Player One and uh, still approach it in that manner is encouraging. The question will be, moving forward, does he want to still be the kind of filmmaker who can keep attempting things on both sides of the street, right? Does he want to be Frank Capra or does he want to be 1980s Steven Spielberg? You know, does he want to be James Cameron or whatever? And his relative inconsistency in terms of making, quote-unquote, old-school Spielberg movies over the last 20 years Mm -hmm. I find very interesting. And I can't decide as a superfan if I want him to be one or the other, if I want him to be able to play both, if I want him to leave childish things behind. Mm -hmm. Everything post Schindler's List Is really complicated and fascinating and has been fun to talk about, obviously.
0: Yeah, his next two movies, what we think will be his next two movies, could be pretty darn telling. You know, if it's the Tony Kushner penned West Side story, followed up by Indiana Jones 5, which they've been pretty. Transparent about wanting to make amends for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull.
1: Or at least that there's more story to tell. And Harrison Ford, you know, who obviously famously doesn't give a shit about anything, yeah. and if he never made another movie again, it seems like he wouldn't care, still seems super invested in this character. Like, yeah. that's the one he takes ownership of and wants to keep doing it.
0: Yeah, so both of those movies could be disasters. Both could be absolutely spectacular. So, you know, the jury is still out in, in some way, shape, or form, but we're going to give our sort of viewpoint perspective after getting through all 32 of these right now, and uh, we got some arbitrary rankings for you.
1: Which films did you watch for the first time? What were your blind spots going through these 32 films? BFG, at least, right? BFG,
0: I think I'd seen Always Once when I was a small child. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen *Duel* or *Sugarland Express*. Oh, okay. The first two on the list. Okay. Which is interesting, but that's it.
1: But it's saying a lot that this is one of those filmmakers who's made thirty-two movies in you know five decades, and yet you had seen all but three. You know, all before. Yeah. I mean, it it speaks to the fact that he is there's a ubiquity to mm-hmm. this particular filmmaker. He's certainly the most financially successful, and he is the most. Obvious household name of any filmmaker who's ever lived, right? Yes. Def- more so than Georges Millier, more so than maybe even Walt Disney, yeah. more so than Jean Luc Godard, more so than Orson Welles.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, in 50 years, who knows if it'll be Tarantino or mm-hmm. Scorsese or James Cameron or who knows what's going to be. But it's interesting his ubiquity is not tied into any sort of autourness, right? Like, he is known for his technical proficiency. He's not the one driving the story for these. He picks up the stories and the, and the scripts from other people. Typically, the filmmakers we hold to the highest acclaim are the ones who... Writer-directors. Uh, writer-directors, right?
1: Yeah, I was talking to my dad about this last night because we re-watched uh, the Spielberg documentary. Mm-hmm. I figured just it was a good time to revisit that since we were going to have this conversation today. He's, he's a huge fan, not just of Spielberg, but of that particular documentary. He, he watches movie. it all the time. Like, every, he, he, you know, he watches every couple months and calls me and tells me about how much he likes it. We were talking about the fact that Spielberg only has two solo screenwriting credits. Mm-hmm. One for... So, in other words, he only has a writer-director credit, at least official ones, on Close Encounters of the Third Kind and AI. And obviously, he's ghostwritten. He has story credits on yep. *Sugarland Express... TV shows, video games, I mean, and
0: Indiana Jones had a lot of story. And God
1: heard. only knows how many films he wrote or co-wrote or helped to write that he just didn't take WJ yeah. credit on or whatever. Right? It's interesting that you mentioned the auteur thing because we think of auteurs as being writer director, you know, vertically integrated artists. I would consider Spielberg an auteur because I think that auteurism. Stems not necessarily from front to back storytelling control. It's yeah. more about fingerprints, right? It's yeah. more about tenets yeah, I, I and think, distinguishing factors.
0: I, I think you know most hired guns, directors, whoever would you know the script is the blueprint, right? Like that you're going to follow this. Whereas. Maybe the way of thinking of it is Spielberg gets a script and that's that's the canvas, right? Mm-hmm. Like that. this is just, okay, this is my jumping off point to make my own Spielbergian things because visually he tells the story like no other person, right? Like he, he's in charge of that. Sure. And, uh, you know, the scripts often oftentimes aren't the most important parts of his movies. He's creating emotion and drama through other means.
1: I think, and this is not a crazy, revolutionary, provocative thing to say... I, I look at the films that I consider to be his best, and they're all fantastic scripts. Well, you know yeah, what I mean? I mean. You
0: can't make a great masterpiece without a great script, and obviously, he has the benefit of being able to work with whoever the fuck he wants to work with. right? But
1: even, I mean, some of these are pretty early. So I'm like, I'm just looking at some of these films that are in my top ten, and some of them are some of his earliest. There's some of his earliest films here, and mm-hmm. yes, I mean, I think you're right. I think having access to the world's greatest entertainment. Re- Entertainment industry resources means you get access to the greatest screenwriters and you get the best scripts first, right? Sure. Like, doesn't everybody who has a great script want to go to DreamWorks for, you know, or yeah, Universal, yeah. Amblin, or whatever? They want to go there first, and then when Spielberg passes on it, then you can go to everybody else. Mm-hmm. But you probably want to start at the top,
0: yeah,
1: right? So, yes, I think you're exactly right that he gets access to this stuff, but I also think that he's been somebody who has sniffed this stuff out. From the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And he may not necessarily get credit for all this stuff, but I think you even look at something like Jaws, which he probably actually had quite a bit yeah. of screenplay input in. And I think he just he's a he's a natural at that. If
0: only because things weren't working and they didn't shoot off the cuff and do a bunch of Yeah,
1: maybe we're you know, sort of like rewriting in the morning and yeah. shooting in the afternoon, which is not a great way to make a movie, but maybe it's in you know, indicative of how of like how sharp his instincts are. Yeah. Right?
0: All right, well, should we get into these rankings or what?
1: Yeah, we've been preparing for a year and a half for this. We're, we're finally qualified to talk about this. You just want to to a filibuster, this. so it That's <laughs> like, what you want. No, you're right. All right. Uh, yeah, let's get into it. We've got 32 movies to rank here. Something tells me that our top tens are going to be quite a bit of crossover. Perhaps the, low, perhaps the lower or the middle stuff might be the most interesting
0: yeah, maybe. Because... We'll, we'll
1: see. Yeah, just just go for it. All I right. mean, there's 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 four or five films that most everybody agrees are his worst. It's more just a question of how you <laughs> how you choose to organize them, right? Yeah. Go ahead. 32 to 11.
0: All right, so I'm going to do mine. This tier I call absolute abominations. I only have three here, right? The BFG, which I hate, is going to be the last place. Wow. Also the most recent movie I've, okay. I've seen. Okay. I just hate it. Uh, number 31... Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Okay. Number 30, Jurassic Park, The Lost World.
1: Okay, those are my bottom three as well. (laughs) There you go.
0: So this next tier, Oddities and Boredom, War Horse at 29, 1941 at 28, Always at 27, and The Adventures of Tintin at 26. Okay. Um, Any crossover there with yours? Oh, yeah, a little bit of crossover. Okay, a little bit. My next tier, I have Fun, Weird, Deeply Flawed. The Terminal, 25, Hook, 24, Ready Player One, 23, Sugarland Express, 22. Okay. Uh, my next tier I call Oscarbation. Uh, <laughs> 21, The Color Purple. 20, The Post. 19, Amistad. Next tier is uh, pretty good. Um, <laughs> Duel at 18. War of the Worlds at 17. Bridge of Spies at 16. I don't really have a name for this one. Uh, but 15 through 11, The Last Crusade, AI, uh, Minority Report at 13, Catch Me If You Can at 12, and Empire of the Sun at 11.
1: Good, interesting. So we got enough
0: In, enough, uh, enough difference
1: enough difference here to make it. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, okay, thirty two to eleven. Bottom of my list is the Lost World. Thirty one is Indiana Jones and the King of the Crystal Skull. Thirty is the BFG. Twenty nine is the Terminal. Twenty eight is Hook. Twenty seven is Always. Twenty six is nineteen forty one. Twenty five the Sugarland Express. Twenty three The Adventures of Tintin. Twenty two War Horse. Twenty four Amistad. Twenty one War of the Worlds. Twenty Ready Player One. 19, Duel. 18, The Post. 17, Bridge of Spies. 16, The Color Purple. 15, AI. 14, Minority Report. 13, Jurassic Park. 12, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And number 11, just barely missing the top 10, is E.T. Oh wow! Yeah, there you go. So yeah, I mean, I'm su- I'm surprised. There's a couple in there that I am surprised by default are part of your top ten, and I can't wait to hear where they land.
0: Yeah, there's one in particular that I've had sort of a renaissance on okay. lately, and I've watched a couple times. I've, I'm able to appreciate it more than I, I had just a few years ago. But I think we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. All right.
1: But I mean, I think that let's talk about the bottom. Of this list yeah. for one second. Is there anybody who could argue with the fact that The Lost World, King of the Crystals, Gold, BFG, The Terminal, and Hook? I mean, I'm looking at these one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm looking at these bottom seven. Mm-hmm. And to me, I would be highly skeptical of. I mean, you can obviously change the order, and we did change yep. the order. But to me, I have a hard time imagining. I'd be skeptical of somebody who didn't have those in the bottom seven well, have, that they were trying to prove something, or that they were trying to be yeah, non-conformist. I think
0: I, I have always lower than you do, right?
1: And you have nineteen. You have Hook higher than I do. Yes, Hook yeah. at
0: twenty-four. But that's just you know. Well, there's enough fun stuff in Hook that it's like it's, it's not. It's not a terrible watch, I guess, compared to some of these movies.
1: I look at all of these films, and I think to myself, I will definitely watch those again. There's something fun. There's something worthwhile about even the lowest stuff. The only ones I could never really imagine watching again, or I would never actively pursue again unless... You know, it would be for academic purposes or something, right? <laughs> I would never watch any of these for pleasure. The Terminal, the BFG, King of the Crystal Skull, and the Lost World Dress Park. Those are the only ones to me that are just like, I have no... They don't even have... They don't have nostalgic value. Yeah. They don't have uh, kitsch value. Mm-hmm. They don't have novelty for me. Yeah. I well, just, so
0: I have the Terminal a little higher, and I forgot to mention, that is one I had not seen. I had somehow avoided that movie gotcha. before we started this process. Okay. That movie has enough just odd, weird shit going on it's that it's kind of kind of fun to watch, but I still have it at, what, 25, so uh-huh. the power of this list in general really shows through that we both just heaped some praise on Ready Player One in our last episode. Yeah. And we both have it super low. I have it. You have it 20, I have it 23. Exactly.
1: And I'm actually, I, I was just looking at this again, I'm like, boy, that's really low, considering how much I like that movie. So yes, this is an indication that, for the most part, this guy makes very watchable movies. And, you know,
0: before this, before this uh, we started this project, I would not have imagined that his first movie, a TV movie, basically, Duel would be so high on my list at 18. Sure. yeah, it's pretty awesome.
1: I have it at 19. Throughout this process, now that we're 32 movies in a year and a half into this investigation, I'm inclined to watch it again this week, just so I can come full circle, right? Because it literally is... Circle back around. Circle back around, yeah. I I mean, I watched it, you know, 18 months ago or whatever and I think it's time to revisit it Sure. just a couple other fun little just pieces of trivia before we get into the top 10 I did some number crunching with all of his stuff because I have that kind of time I put all of his running times into a spreadsheet here and I averaged them out okay. and his average running time is 136 minutes wow. which means the average Steven Spielberg movie is 2 hours and 60 minutes now granted Schindler's List.
0: There's some outliers, obviously. but there's there's a lot of movies in here, so it shouldn't break it out that far. But
1: yeah, I mean, his his shortest is Duel at 89 minutes, and obviously his longest is Schindler's List, at 195 minutes. But for the most part, he's a two hour and 50 minute kind of guy. Yeah, uh, I punched his uh, the budgets of his movies in and averaged those out over 32 movies. If you added all of his budgets up together, he spent uh, two billion dollars on yeah. all 32 of his films which means that his average budget is $64 million, Yeah, which is not that expensive no. when you think about it, right? Well, I mean, it's he, pretty he made movies
0: early on, so, so with lower budgets. Yeah, but- we're talking about
1: Sugar Land Express, which is $3 million, you know, Jaws, which is nine. Sure. So, yes, I mean, I didn't adjust for inflation or anything, right? Mm-hmm. But I still think that that's interesting in that it means that this guy who is the most financially successful filmmaker of all time still makes reasonably priced He's movies. He's no James Cameron. Exactly. And I think he was, I think he learned lessons from those first couple because he went over budget and over schedule on Sugarland Express, Jaws, Close Encounters and 1941. His yeah. first four movies, he, maybe not Sugarland Express, but definitely Jaws, Close Encounters, 1941. Yeah. Over budget, over schedule. So when he got around to making Raiders, Lucas's um, challenge was you need to bring this in on budget and on schedule, otherwise Paramount is not gonna to agree to you directing this movie. Yeah. And apparently he came in under budget, under schedule in that movie. And it seems like ever since he's been a much more reformed, you know, <laughs> he, he's been a uh, much more responsible young man.
0: Well when you when you learn that you can pretty much do whatever you want if you make money and bring in under budget, under schedule. Yeah. Right? Like you get you get to play play nice and you'll get you'll get the budgets to begin with. Uh
1: let's talk box office. Worldwide box office receipts. Over thirty two films his movies have brought in uh $10.5 billion. So
0: that's an $8.5 billion profit. Good good math. That's pretty good. <laughs> not bad.
1: Uh, not too bad at all, which means that his movies have an average. Uh, worldwide box office return of $330 million.
0: That's good. And that, you know, obviously not counting home video or any of that shit.
1: Uh, oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, this is just worldwide box office. And you can
0: think about it, there's so many of his movies that have been absolute just staples in people's DVD and VHS collections over the years, right? Absolutely. E.T. and Jurassic Park alone, Indiana Jones, like any of these things. Jaws,
1: yeah, especially movies that have gone, yeah, movies that have been long, around long enough they've gone through different formats, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. Like I own Jaws on VHS and then I owned it on DVD mm-hmm. and then I owned the special edition DVD right? yeah. and then the Blu-ray and well, I also can't iTunes imagine,
0: you know there, I can't imagine how many people our age like have uh, rented on VOD in the last five years Jurassic Park Right. Yeah. like I'm sure it's a crazy amount of people or like anytime Netflix in the past 10 years has decided oh can we have Jurassic Park or Indiana Jones all, for three, a year? all yeah. three
1: Indiana Jones movies all four are on there right now
0: yeah I'm I bet that cost a pretty penny. Sure. You
1: know? And I'm thinking back to the early VHS days, and I certainly remember all three Indiana Jones movies being staples of our collection, but there was also a time when I remember just renting Raiders of the Lost Ark every week Over before we owned day. it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I mean, that too. I can only imagine how many, how many trips we made to Blockbuster just specifically to rent <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Alright, enough filibustering. Let's get to this top ten list. Alright,
0: we're going to go one at a time here and if we both have uh, one in the top ten we'll push it until the person who has it highest. Okay. Uh, my number ten is Temple of Doom.
1: My number ten as well. Look at that! That's exciting. guess we don't need to push.
0: No, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, I have Last Crusade below it. A lot of people have Last Crusade as their favorite Indiana Jones movie. I think it's the worst of the original three. Temple of Doom is is a really weird, dark, exciting fun movie and it's different than Raiders and The Last Crusade in a, in a lot of ways. It's, it's you know, not trotting. It's pretty insular. It's kind of scary. Prequel. Prequel, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, prequel in name it doesn't really function as a prequel in any meaningful... I disagree. Okay. I
1: think it's, I think it's a very intentional and important prequel because I think it's him... At his darkest and most anti-hero anti-heroic. Sure. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. He's a he's a bad guy in Temple of Doom. He's sexist, misogynist, yeah. he's he's in it for fortune and glory. Yeah. He's he's doing some pretty bad shit at the beginning of that movie. He's much more James Bond, you know, he's certainly yeah. more of a Flander. And over the course of that movie, he learns to be. Indiana Jones from Raiders. Sure. And Lost okay. That that's the sense. way that I feel. I
0: guess my point is if you ask people how many people know that's actually a prequel who even like Indiana Jones, it's probably a smaller percentage. It is interesting
1: thing. that they don't, that you have to actually just look at that.
0: You have to remember. You have, the to, look, year from you have to remember when Raiders,
1: yeah. So it's interesting they decided to do it that way. And again, I think it's intentional because I think they're making a statement about the character, mm-hmm. but it's interesting they didn't choose to make it explicit to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. I would love to talk to Lucas. Because they obviously made a choice to set it beforehand. Absolutely, yeah. And
0: I wonder if the choice—the choice could have been as simple as well, where's Karen Allen? This is the way to explain
1: it. <laughs> Plus, they also didn't want to deal with Nazis. I remember yeah. that. They said they didn't want to go back to Nazis again. Yeah. So that was that was part of the choice as well, which is funny because then they go back to that well in Last Crusade. Yeah, it's a deep well. I went through, I rewatched all three of them the other day mm-hmm. because um, I knew we were going to talk about this, and I know we're going to talk about Raiders for AFI soon. I was just, I was battling cold, and I was like, this is a perfect opportunity to go through and watch all three. Notice I don't say all four.
0: Yeah.
1: It was so much fun, and I, and I felt like I was... 11 years old again but I chose to watch them in chronological chronological order (laughs) which is something I've never done before like great I've I've watched all three in succession probably 15 times in my life right and so, like this time I'm going to watch them in chronological order and it was fun to see the trajectory of the character that way and I just love how audacious Temple of Doom is Mm -hmm. it opens with a musical number, and it ends with a literal roller coaster ride, and then a literal cliffhanger. Yeah. Right. They get they get into they get into a minecart chase, and then they literally hang off of a cliff um, at the climax. And it's just like it's so literal, it's so kind of blunt in its yeah. own way that it's just um, incorrigible.
0: Yeah. Right. And it's you know as a kid this is a scary fucking movie. Yeah. Right? I mean, and, and I, I really love that. We've gone over the Indiana Jones movies quite a bit. But, uh, yeah, I fucking love Temple of Doom.
1: It's the darkest. It's the weirdest. It's the sexiest. Yeah. It's the creepiest. I mean, it's, it's, it's the it's the most of all the, <laughs> all the, the Indiana most. Jones it's movies. It's the most are. extra. Exactly. Yeah.
0: All right. My number nine is E.T., which barely missed your top ten.
1: This must be your reevaluation, huh?
0: No, no, I got another one coming up next. Okay. Uh, I'm glad. Yeah, ET is my reevaluation. Like, I, again, I, I softened up on Ready Player One and, uh, E.T., you know, it's not just nostalgia. It's just a really great movie. Solid movie. Yeah, solid movie. I
1: feel like we were dismissive of it when we talked about it a year ago. I think we were. Every time I've thought about it since, every time I've rewatched the Spielberg documentary or watched a clip of, Mm. you know, Drew Barrymore or something on YouTube, it just reinforces for me why it's such a classic. You know, like why it's just such an enduring classic. It is the best. I don't consider the Indiana Jones movies to be family movies necessarily. I don't consider Jaws to be a family movie. If you really want to talk about the Spielberg family movies or Spielberg movies that are for children, I think there's only really officially a couple. Yeah. This, Hook, BFG. And this is clearly the defining family movie of his career.
0: Well, it's almost the defining like, if you think of the cliche Spielberg, like what's the most Spielberg Spielberg movie? This is you know it's got it's got an alien, it's yeah. got family, it's got the suburbs, it's got the score.
1: It's got yeah maybe one of the greatest John Williams scores, and it has the image that yep. he chose for his company.
0: That's kind of why I felt remiss not to include it on here. And I'm wondering which which of my top tens. I think we have nine of the same top tens. Oh, is that true? Probably. I think that's <laughs> just
1: going to be a question of what order they <laughs> come up. in. Well some of this stuff is pretty unequivocal. Yeah. I'm pretty happy with my top th- 5. I think it's it's a provocative top 5, but yes, we're probably going to end up end up with the same. Well, let's see. Uh, my number 9 is Lincoln.
0: All right, let's push that. Okay. My number 8 is Jurassic Park.
1: Yes, which didn't make my top 10.
0: Good. Um, this is the one I reevaluated. Like I okay. I loved it as a kid. I, I remember going to see a uh, 20 year anniversary 2014, right? Th- 13. 13? Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, yeah, so I saw a 20-year anniversary, and I was a little down on it. I thought the script was kind of wonky. Was that the I'm 3D like, version? Yeah, 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 yeah. But the times I've seen it since, it's just no one else could have made that movie like Spielberg could. It was such a uh, leap in CGI, and it's still... The visuals hold up yeah. so incredibly well. Great, fun cast, and, you know, it's Spielberg's monster movie. And yeah. it's fucking... Yeah, it's it's exciting. There are a number of incredible set pieces. It's satisfying. I think it sticks the landing. And it's, it's just... For, for people of our age, it's one of the most iconic films out there.
1: I, would just, I just mentioned the fact that I feel like he's only made a couple of actual children's films. Yeah. This was a movie that I feel was pitched straight towards 13-year-old boys, yeah. right? I think
0: it's saying something they've tried to make four more of these things, and they all are hot garbage compared to the original, right? Yeah. Yeah. They tried to repeat the formula, it just it doesn't work. So there's some sort of, even he couldn't figure it out on, on second try. Uh,
1: and as a matter of fact, he failed so miserably that we consider it to be... One of his three worst (laughs) worst films. I I wish in an alternate universe we would have just left this. I wonder how much how many of my issues with the film stem from my inability to divorce what has come. You know, like I don't. I don't. Don't
0: don't, be mad at Jurassic Park for Jurassic World.
1: I know. I I, I shouldn't. It's just interesting that I I don't blame Raiders for or even Last Crusade for King of the Crystal Skull, whereas I seem to somewhat punish Jurassic Park for. (laughs) for Jurassic World. For what it has wrong. Yeah, that's that's one of my personal issues, <laughs> I suppose. Um, still his biggest hit. I'd be surprised if he ever makes a bigger hit than this. Oh, no way. It's it's, his, it's the only film he's made that, that's made over a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Not adjusted. It is his biggest hit. It is for a reason. It completely changed everything now the question is should we blame steven spielberg for what speaking of what things have wrought <laughs> should we blame him for what cg has done to the industry writ large right like malcolm ian malcolm talks about the fact your scientists were so busy trying to figure out whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should yeah should dennis Muren and steven spielberg and kathleen kenny should they have stopped and stepped back and be like we're about to open pandora's box
0: I think the it was inevitable, right? Okay. Like I, I don't think this changed anything. I, if Jurassic Park flops, I don't think people are like, well, the CGI thing, it's yeah. not it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. Because um, at the end of the
1: day, James Cameron's still gonna keep fucking beating it, that drum, right? We'd already had T two, right? Yeah. So it's- the greatest legacy of Jurassic Park, I feel, is that it's shirtless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shirtless Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. No one's gonna argue with that. No, its greatest legacy is the fact that you watch it today and it looks brand spanking new yeah you look at it and it looks immaculate mm-hmm. whereas you watch i don't know thor you know something that was made yeah. 10 years ago and you're like ugh, that's some yeah. flubbery well, cg Well, I mean,
0: maybe they should have taken big action filmmakers should have taken spielberg's uh you know lead here and done a combination of yeah. practical and integration and yeah
1: that's why those first three lord of the rings movies still work pretty well yeah. because that was all about integration mm-hmm. that was about onset practical effects. That was about um, you know makeup and hair. That was about miniatures. That was yeah. about sprinkling in the CG stuff when you needed yeah. to. But you can't clever
0: like perspective shit. That they were doing
1: exactly. To, you know, yeah. yeah, you got it. You got to use all the tools in the toolbox, and that's why kingdom of the crystal skull is such a disaster because it's basically just using cg to kind of like fill in all these gaps because you got a filmmaker Mm -hmm. really two filmmakers and lucas and spielberg who are kind of like you know i'd kind of like to be home for dinner and like uh it's kind of hot out here right shouldn't we get back to the hotel can't we just clean this up later with the you know we can can
0: turn the san fernando valley into (laughs) the amazon right exactly
1: (laughs) we pushed lincoln right yeah okay number eight on my list is munich
0: all right let's push that okay number seven on my list is jaws
1: Oh yeah, definitely got to push that. I'm surprised it's so low. Number seven on my list is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Let's push it. Okay.
0: Number six for me is Lincoln. Um, pretty damn high. Pretty damn high for me. Like I, I, I had it lower to begin with, but the more I think about it, the more I think this is an absolute masterpiece. Just the fact that this is such a surprising direction for a Lincoln biopic, in mm-hmm. my mind, mm-hmm. the, to, to focus on the procedural aspect of the amendment, it, uh, it just warms my heart every time I watch this movie. Um, a lot of that has to do with the script, but the way it's interpreted is absolutely fantastic. One of his best casts, one of the deepest casts in movie history, really. Yeah,
1: probably his best. Probably his best. The fact that you, and the fact that you can cap it with the greatest living actor. The yeah. fact that you can put together probably the best ensemble he's ever worked with and say, and right on top in the titular role, greatest actor who's <laughs> ever lived.
0: Greatest person to ever do the thing he's doing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think that's true. We've talked a lot about it, but it's, it's a masterpiece.
1: Uh, that movie is 90% of the way there for me. You know, I have yeah, issues with the ending that, unfortunately, keep it from becoming, like, for me, like, using the M-word about it. Sure. Which I know it sound, probably sounds a little petty, but just, like... It is petty. It's just so... It's, like, standing there looking at the finish line and just can't quite get there for me. But it's still in my top ten. Uh, what are we up to here? Six? Mm-hmm. Saving Private Ryan. All right.
0: It's number five. So, let's... On my list. Let's, so, let's talk about let's it. Let's
1: talk about it. It's a film that, like, came out of the gates so hot for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like, at the time I saw it... It was like that's not only one of the and that's not only the greatest war film I've ever seen, might be one of the greatest films I've ever seen. Yeah, right. In the theaters, it was just transcendent. Every time I watch it, it's still very effective and very moving. Mm-hmm. But um, but like Lincoln, it does have issues, sort of Spielberg inherent issues that keep it from being, I think, amongst his best and most sophisticated works. The work, bookends, right? yeah, the bookends. I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I can quite put my finger... I, you, you'd think after all this and after all these viewings and after all this discussion, I'd be able to put my finger on why Saving Private Ryan is 95% of the way towards being a masterpiece.
0: Well, one one thing, and it's not the movie's fault, it's just sort of oddly paced with the the you know the centerpiece of the film being the first 20 minutes, really, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, we talk about the fact that it peaks. Yeah, probably peaks too early. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a complicated thing to hold against the movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's weird to like... Start your movie off with one of the greatest scenes ever put on film, mm-hmm. and then as a result, the movie you try
0: to, to squeeze two more hours. Yeah, you're
1: putting yourself in a position to fail, right? Yeah. So you've you've now you've changed the game. You you've just done something groundbreaking. Yeah. Like set a new bar for how combat scenes are going to be approached. But as a result, your narrative is just gonna. It's never gonna be able to. It's just now top heavy. Yeah. Right. And I
0: remember you mentioning that you you do feel like the the final action scene in the town is uh feels a little too Hollywood. Set E for you.
1: I think it's a really satisfying climax, but no, it can't compete with. Yeah. It can't compete with the opening mm-hmm. twenty minute, and it's much more traditional. It's much less sort of experimental. It's much less expressionistic. Yeah, I'd say. I think that consensus opinion, not just box office and Oscars, but I think in terms of like cultural relevance. Mm-hmm. Most people would consider Saving Private Ryan to be in his top five. Up until I really had to be hard on myself here, it was it was right there teetering
0: on the edge. Yeah.
1: I mean, it is teetering on the edge. It's number six.
0: Well, it, it just shows how, how strong the, the, top, the five top five <laughs> really is. Yeah. are.
1: He probably thinks it's in his top five, right? I mean, he probably thinks that...
0: Uh, I would love to hear what he thinks his top five movies are.
1: Tell you what, once we get th- through this, let's speculate about what we think his best... I mean...
0: Let's just get him on the phone.
1: <laughs> get him on the horn.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean well just E.T. for example.
0: Yeah, I wonder where that is. I'd
1: be I'd be interested whether he's prouder of Schindler's list. Yeah. But E.T. is probably his favorite. Probably. I would think for a number of reasons. I wonder
0: how what he thinks about Jaws given how tumultuous the shooting of that film was. Is he like I bet
1: you he has a hard time watching Jaws. Yeah. You know, I bet you it makes him anxious to sit down and watch Jaws. (laughs) And I totally understand why. In a lot of ways it's it's the one that put him on the map. So I think I mean he sat down for interviews about it many times over the yeah. years. There's a bunch of really great Jaws documentaries, and he's obviously very candid about it. But you also he has mentioned bad memories of it.
0: You also mentioned that he, you know, you saw that screening on Schindler's List with the man in the house, and I he did. said he hadn't watched it. He, how many. he
1: claimed he hadn't watched it since 1993. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that. Well, I just he hadn't sat. Down. For, I mean,
0: for someone like him, I feel like how often is he even watching his own films, right? it must be a weird thing to do like he's gonna sit down with, with his wife and kids like alright let's dad let's what do you want to put around. let's gather on? around the, <laughs> like, gather like, around the TV again? and watch music on yeah.
1: yeah but I mean you, you, we were talking about DVDs and format changes yeah. and, and remastering and doing yeah. Dolby you know 5-1 surround I have to imagine he's sitting in these maybe he's just doing five other things maybe he's you know he's busy <laughs> sure. looking at the at the dailies for yeah. uh, War of the Worlds while he's watching a remastering of Jurassic Park or something I think yeah I think what he meant was he hadn't sat down in a movie theater with an audience no distractions and literally just like gave himself over to Schindler's List for three hours that's probably what he meant Mm -hmm. but your point's well taken I mean he's He's a super duper busy guy who always has a handful of projects happening at any given time. So yeah, if you're reading a script and working on another script and doing post on this film, how much time do you have? And 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 watching student film, you know, watching films from upcoming filmmakers and wanting to see what and watching watching three episodes of Stranger Things. Sure, Sure. we're
0: watching movies to prepare for his next movie. Exactly, watching Lawrence of Arabia for the
1: fiftieth time, getting prepped for. Yeah. War Horse or whatever. Yeah. Num- so that,
0: that was my number five. You're number five now. Catch Me If You Can. Ooh, yeah, that's number 12 on my list. Yeah, it's not even in your top ten. Yeah.
1: Catch Me If You Can is one of those movies that just gets better. every. When I when I saw it in the theater, I was just like, yeah, that was fine. Bobble, yeah. fun, whatever. And just every time I watch it, it just... I find it to be such an incredibly sophisticated invocation of all the thematic stuff he's interested in, right? Sure. For a guy who so, has so many daddy issues and is so concerned with uh, fractured families, with broken families or whatever, to me it's just, it's really his most sophisticated drama mm-hmm. about, you know, it's not about... It's not using dinosaurs as a metaphor yeah, yeah. for like a man becoming, learning to become a father or whatever, right? Sure. It's literally about a family that's dealing with divorce and the way that this kid runs away and goes and finds something that he's really good at mm-hmm. as a way to not only get his father's approval, but to distract himself from the fact that his family. And to me, that's Spielberg running away to filmmaking yeah. to distract himself from the fact that his family has fallen apart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In addition to all that very melancholy melodrama, and the movie gets pretty darn melancholy. I mean, it's really. A very sad movie in a yeah. lot of ways, and his father dies before they can truly reconcile. Before he can actually get his father's approval, it's also just straight up one of his most fun and entertaining movies. Yeah, I mean, it is just an absolute joy. Mm-hmm. It's and it's just filled with color and mm-hmm. incredible music and wonderful performances. And I don't know, it's just it's just grown up Spielberg making a grown up movie, doing it in an unpretentious way, mm-hmm. and just absolutely sinking his teeth into every single frame. Yeah. and and Tom Hanks sort of like allow. Uh, Taking the back seat and kind of letting Leo do his thing, I feel, is a very admirable move Mm -hmm. on the part of one of the biggest movie stars in the world. And I love that dynamic. I mean, ultimately, he becomes the father figure, right? Yeah. Tom Hanks becomes the father figure that Christopher Walken could never be. Yeah. But every time Walken and Leo are on screen together, I'm just like, this is... This is so much more mature and sophisticated in terms of Spielberg working out these demons than anything he's ever done up to this point.
0: Um I have no issue with Catch Me If You Can, it's number 12 on my list. I mean, I think it drags a little bit, but yeah, I really really like the movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, of of all these, it's honestly probably the one over the last 10 years probably the one that I've just revisited the most mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite Spielberg put this on in the background while I'm making dinner movies you know yeah. it's just an absolute joy and great it's, score wonderful it's, it's one of Williams' best scores yep. and it just introduces you know it's got this incredible Amy Adams performance and mm-hmm. Jennifer Garner and just Elizabeth Banks. Elizabeth Banks it's just it's just a joy from top to bottom and it's a joy without any aliens or dinosaurs yeah. or Nazis or whips yeah. or so, you know like it's just it's him managing to sort of give me spectacle without the usual elements of spectacle does that make sense?
0: Yeah it would have been nice to see more movies like that in his oeuvre to be honest like sort of like Spielberg bringing his spielberg to sort of more straightforward Hollywood fare yeah right?
1: yeah, and, and, and in that regard it's it's such an incredible success mm-hmm. in my mind because it is completely mainstream yeah. and stars two of the world's biggest movie stars mm. and it's an absolute joy from top to bottom but I think it's also just a very smart funny romantic sad piece of work. Like it's just it's one of my it's like my favorite type of mainstream movie. Yeah. You know? And I and the fact that he's capable of that does make me wish he would do that more often. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always have to be like the super highfalutin Bridge of Spies stuff, yeah, yeah. right? The post, like this is an important. Sometimes it could just be a fun bobble about a con man. It yeah. still has very resonant familial themes.
0: Absolutely. Alright, my number four, I think is your number four, number three, Close Encounters of the Third Kind.
1: That was my number seven. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. That's right. You pushed it. I did.
0: Um yeah, I mean Close Encounters. I don't think it gets enough credit for how freaking weird yeah. it is. Yeah, it's just a bizarre take on uh, on aliens, and it's 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 a lot of fun. You've following Richard Dreyfuss's Descent into Madness. Um, visually, it's absolutely stunning. You know, I, I returned this movie quite a bit. Uh, I think it was one of the first movies that made me fall in love with Steven Spielberg. Sure. I mean, it was one of my dad's favorite films.
1: It was the movie that proved Jaws was not a fluke, yes, right?
0: Yes, a- and brought him into this whole different world that he kept returning to of aliens. And, you know, I, I, th- I think it's telling that his only two screenplay credits are Close Encounters and AI, which are just crazy, big, high-concept down-the-rabbit-hole type films. You know, just technically, it's it's a pretty perfect movie, front to back. Like, I, I have no issues with, with how that movie comes together at all.
1: Unbelievably watchable. It holds up really, really well, which is crazy, considering how ambitious the special effects in yeah, it are.
0: For, for the time, especially. Yeah,
1: like the, the use of practical effects and the way that they integrate what would have been probably pretty risky and groundbreaking at the time, yeah. and how high the stakes were mm-hmm. following up Jaws. Mm-hmm. And again, went way over budget, way over schedule, like, could have been could have been a real problem. I mean, well, the fact it's that he- how many times we've said that in Spielberg's career, we're like, boy, he was really playing with fire here, even Jurassic Park. We're just like, if this CG shit hadn't worked, this movie doesn't work.
0: I mean, yeah, you gotta hand it to how ballsy it was to follow up Jaws. something. I'm gonna write this bizarre, esoteric alien movie.
1: He's technically remaking one of his one of the films he yeah. made as a child. He made a movie called Firelight, which I've never seen. Apparently, um, most of the negative has been either destroyed or lost. Sure. So you can't really find more than a few minutes of it online. But I was doing some research into it. Apparently, the version that was screened in theaters when he was 13 years old or whatever, which was made for a budget of $500 and apparently made 501 box office. Again, guy doesn't, <laughs> make, lose. Guy doesn't make flops. It was 135 minutes long. <laughs> A 13-year-old kid making... I mean, even, even as a 13-year-old, he couldn't... Get, and imagine how expensive that... Well, apparently it was $500. Most of that was probably negative, right? So he, he made a two-and-a-half-hour-long student film, basically, that he screened at his hometown. And then he basically recycled most of those ideas into Close Encounters and made the big kid version of that. Yeah. And you look at Close Encounters, E.T., and then War of the Worlds as kind of like his his alien trilogy right yeah. his extraterrestrial trilogy or whatever the one of those that doesn't work really or doesn't work as well is war of the worlds because it's so dark right and yeah. it's and it's attempting to say something about 911 as opposed to saying something about like the goodness of humanity or, you know, of aliens who are just curious and want to, like, help us understand a deeper truth. Yeah. And to me, that's much more his wheelhouse. The optimistic side, right? Yes. War of the world is ultimately a pretty pessimistic or cynical movie, at least, right? Yeah. I mean, there's ultimately a reconciliation between father and son, which is important.
0: It's just trying to stay alive in the face of yeah unseen evil. Right? And
1: that aliens you know, may potentially have it out for them. they might want to just exterminate all of us. Yeah. Whereas E. T. and and Close Encounters are much more solid bedfellows because they're they're talking about ultimately like the the decency mm-hmm. of different Potential life forms. Yeah. yeah. And the ending of Close Encounters shouldn't work. Like it's no. so like you look at that, you're like, it could be so schmaltzy, it could just be ridiculous. Like the aliens are so kind of rudimentary, really, mm-hmm. in their in their design. And yet, it's, it just gives me goosebumps thinking about it. And a lot of it has to do with, with John Williams. And a lot of it has to do with Bob Balaban and uh, Francois Truffaut, right? Yep. Yeah, it's a wonderful movie. It, it certainly... It surprised me that it's so low on my list. But again, an indication of how strong things are here at the top. My number four is Empire of the Sun.
0: Ooh, all right. Yeah.
1: This is... Kind of, I feel like Empire of the Sun is kind of like my... Yeah. It's like my life's work to champion this Empire your of the hair, yeah, yeah. It is. It's really I mean, I, I saw it when I was his age, basically. Like I, I was Actually, I was even younger than the than the Christian Bale character when I first saw it on HBO in 1989 or whatever it was, and I just had never seen anything like it. And I didn't know, realize at the time that it was a Steven Spielberg movie. And then putting that into context when I saw the credits at the end, I was like, "There's nothing this guy can't do" at this <laughs> yeah. point. You know, having seen Jaws and seeing the Indiana, at least two of the Indiana Jones movies. I don't know. It's um, it's a World War II film, but it's unlike any of the other World War II films he's ever made. It's, I think, the greatest. Film about children, the greatest film about uh, loss of innocence, and the greatest film about broken families that um, that he ever made, and those are mm-hmm. very important, resonant things for him. Yeah. So, and I would put Christian Bale's performance up against any other child in any other movie ever. Not one of the not necess- not just one of the all-time great debuts, but one of the all-time great performances by a child.
0: Yeah. Well, he was. Uh, it was clear early on that he was going to be one of our greats. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Born to do this. He just had it. It's just. It's written by Tom Stoppard, so it's just a very just a very sophisticated piece of storytelling mm-hmm. it's very smart the uh, performances across the board Malkovich who never gets enough credit for this film is wonderful and Joe Penteliano and a very young Ben Stiller yeah. weirdly enough Miranda Richardson it's what? just it's just an incredible movie it's it's incredible that this movie exists like you look at it and it's so esoteric yeah. it's so weird it's such a it's such a strange dark unexpected movie it's, it's the so one weird. that is most i feel in need of a reevaluation because I know he considers it to be one of his best and I know a lot of critics consider it to be one of his
0: best and I know a lot of people like you who just people who love it like cannot stop advocating
1: <laughs> yes for it. it's true but I promise it's not just that advocacy impulse that makes me put it yeah. this high I mean I gave this a lot of thought and I've basically been working on this list for the last year <laughs> and it's never fallen out of the top five you know yeah. like it's always been kind of neck and neck yeah it's just it's it's not an easy movie it's not a short movie but it's one that I just revisit all the time and yeah, can't stop talking about, can't stop thinking about. It has one of the most emotional, short of Schindler's list, it has one of the most emotional codas of any yeah. of his films when the when there's the when the family connects again at the end and yet at the same time there's a real kind of cynical darkness to those last few minutes because even though he technically comes together with his mm-hmm. family at the end, you look in his eyes and you're like, He's not a boy anymore. Yeah. Like he's lost all innocence. Yeah. Now he can he can Get back together with his parents, and he can take a shower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he can have a first this first meal, and you know, years. But that um, that child is that child is gone. Yeah, and that child will never that innocence will never come back.
0: And uh, the entire invasion sacking of Shanghai is one of the
1: that's incredible, great all time yeah. pieces. Yeah, you look at that, and you are like, boy, this is this is really David Lean mm-hmm. incarnate, right? Yeah. You look at that, and then you look at the um, at the P fifty ones descending on the POW camp, yeah. and that just. Unbelievable John Williams score, one of his best. I just love it.
0: All right, my number three is Munich. Um, Munich is a movie that I I think is an absolute masterpiece. Is something that's grown in my estimation every time I've watched it. Um, you mentioned Catch Me If You Can being like a mature Spielberg film. Like this is his most adult movie, maybe, besides something like Schindler's List or say or one of his war movies, right?
1: Certainly his most morally ambiguous, yes, right? His most yes. morally complex.
0: And I just, you know, given that the point in his career where he was at, like, I did not see that coming. And it still feels weird watching that movie that this is a Spielberg movie. Yeah. I mean, all the technical proficiency is there, but like I said, the moral ambiguity of the whole thing is eye-opening and pretty brave for him as, you know, who he is, as a very devout Jewish man, yes. right? Um, so the fact that he could be so introspective and open-minded and delivering this sort of badass movie in the process is is super impressive. And there are just so many scenes, Any of the, any of the assassination scenes are just gangbusters. Uh, I, lo- I love the whole crew, um, and yeah, I just never get tired of this movie.
1: Yeah, Daniel Craig a year before he would be we'll anointed as Bond, mm-hmm. um, and the great Kieran Hines and Matthew, Matthew Kassovitz. It's crazy
0: that Bana didn't blow up didn't after Didn't become a thing, yeah,
1: yeah and, and didn't even get Oscar nominated for this incredible performance.
0: Jeffrey Rush.
1: Yeah, I feel like Munich, at the time, was c- critically respected, was nominated for Best Picture in a pretty weak year. Yeah. That was the crash year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was nominated for Best Picture as some high-profile Spielberg movies tend to be. seems to me that the re-evaluation is happening. Yeah. You know, that people are coming around, and people are willing to give the controversial sex scene another look, you know, (laughs) and not not allowing it to completely, to poison everything, right? Which neither you or I find to be a a deal-breaker. No. Because we both love this movie, and we both think it has a very moving ending. It seems like people are coming around to respect this as certainly one of the best films he's made in the I'm, 21st I'm just century I'm
0: sort of surprised it wasn't a bigger deal when it came out given just how ballsy and different it was for him
1: I think it's just, just too dark just yeah, so dark still didn't know what to do with it exactly and and moral ambiguity has never necessarily been his stock and trade he yeah. usually takes a stand
0: pretty clear yeah. in
1: this particular subject matter though I think you do need to be like moral equivalence needs to be part of the approach alright mm-hmm. and that confuses or alienates people maybe sure. right So people need to come around to this movie kind of slowly. Mm -hmm. It's certainly one of his darkest. It's certainly one of his most violent. It's far and away his most sexually explicit, which is weird for him. And just this subject matter, man, it it is just a fucking... Do any of his
0: other movies have boobs in them? (laughs) (laughs) So er so erudite. (laughs) (laughs) You're asking the the questions. Everybody else is just thinking, right?
1: Yes, Schindler's List has some... Uh,
0: Yeah, Schindler's List barely counts. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah looking down this I, I mean I don't remember Color Purple having any nudity yeah. um, no he's he's a prude he's, he's a, a chased man he's generally. a big dork yeah I mean yeah. he even mentions it in that Spielberg documentary talking about how how much sexuality there is in the book the Color Purple and how he just like he basically got bashful and he's like you yeah. know couldn't I just can't go there with it. And as a result, a lot of people feel that movie is not a great adaptation of the book because it's not willing to go as dark or sexual mm-hmm. as uh, Alice Walker did. So so no, I mean this is this is one of his more hardcore movies yeah. in a lot of ways, but crazily enough, it's an overwhelming success. Like he managed he pretty much nails everything. The performances are amazing, the set pieces are amazing. Mm-hmm. The uh, Tony Kushner script is amazing. And that last shot that could very easily be a big groaner, forehead slapper is Quite moving.
0: Yeah. No. You know? it, it, the the context for setting up that last shot is, yeah. is spot on. It's right?
1: not like the rat running across no, the uh, the uh, windowsill at the end of Departed, right? No. Which is just like, ugh. No. This is and apparently I was watching an interview with Janusz Kaminsky last night where he said they shot like four takes of that and in the first three they didn't allow they weren't exp- they weren't allowing any space for the twin tower. It was not yeah. in the script. In no other yeah. words, and then in the fourth take he's like, you know what, this time go far enough to the left that we'll you could potentially see them. Yeah, and yeah. then that's the one they used. Yeah, it's an amazing movie, and it is one that I revisit pretty darn often considering uh, the fact that it can be a pretty tough sit. Yeah. What are we up to, number three? Yeah, you're number three. Jaws.
0: Okay. What more is there to say? <laughs> it's fucking
1: Jaws. We, um, on our very first episode, we were just like, it's a masterpiece. Move on to Close Encounters. <laughs> I mean, it's probably the first one I saw. No, I mean, probably maybe Raiders, but it, I was pretty young when my dad first showed me Jaws. And it was a pretty big deal, yeah. and you do feel like you're watching something truly special. Mm-hmm. The genius of Jaws, I think, stems not from not from the tension or from the gore or from the blood or from Quint's speech or from the um, you know reverse zoom shot on Roy Scheider's face. Mm-hmm. The genius of Jaws, I think, really stems from an unbelievably effective script, which is miraculous yeah. considering the fact that it came from, like you said, came from. Probably a, uh, a mediocre book first and foremost, and then also a very strange screenwriting trajectory.
0: He's really good at turning shit books into good movies.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, I don't want to just necessarily uh, dismiss Peter Benchley having not read the book, but the book doesn't have a great reputation. I've
0: read Ready Player One and Jurassic
1: Park. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Jaws is a masterpiece. Everybody agrees it's a masterpiece. It's one of the greatest American films ever made. It's one of the most influential films of all time. It's the movie that invented the summer blockbuster for better or for worse. But to me, it really comes down to the fact that it's one of the most... It's one of the best told stories in cinematic history, I think. Yeah. It's just... It's pitch perfect. They teach it in every screenwriting class. Mm-hmm. It's, it hits all the buttons... Uh, Brody is one of the all-time, you know, great reluctant heroes, yep. and the fact that he is, um, he's a guy who's scared of the water, who has to go out on the water and face his greatest fear. Yep. And the fact that you have, you know, the blue-collar primal side represented by Quint, mm-hmm. and then you have the book, you know, like the the rich kid, bookish science, you know. Mm-hmm. You've you got both sides of the, uh, both extremes working, and you got Brody in the middle who has to find that, that middle ground, yep. right? And only once... Those extremes have been basically taken off the table. Can he sort of rise to the challenge and become the hero yeah. he didn't realize he could be?
0: Yeah, to create a template on its own is uh, it's as big a compliment as you can really give to yeah. something like this. And
1: people will always go back to, you know, you're going to need a bigger boat or the incredible Quint speech, both of which are wonderful, or the you know the aforementioned uh, reverse Zoom, the the Kittner kid, mm-hmm. uh, the girl, who you know, the incredible prologue. All that stuff is great. To me, Jaws is all about prioritization of a really well-told story. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you don't have that, nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. So that's why, yeah, these really these top five films are all extraordinary, extraordinary scripts.
0: And just the importance of setting his career into motion, obviously, for what we're doing now. <laughs> yes.
1: And also putting him back on his heels at a young age to force him to become the filmmaker he was meant to be, right? Yeah. If it wasn't for the fact that this movie was such a challenge and basically bullied him into embracing pockets of creativity he probably didn't even realize were there, right? Yeah. And as a result, he just like became his best, the yeah. best version of himself as a result <laughs> of this movie and the rest is history. You know, he's been a household name ever since. One might could make the argument maybe he's been chasing this yeah. movie ever since. Really, Jurassic Park is the only real kind of like tonal spiritual sequel to this, right? Yeah. I think this is a better film but I certainly appreciate the fact that Jurassic Park... ...is really the only time when he actually tried to scratch a lot of the same
0: itch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Jaws is a more simple, streamlined version of what Jurassic Park
1: became. It's minimalist in its own way was this huge hit biggest hit of all time at the time but then also nominated for best picture you yeah. know and, and is part of the afi top 100 and i mean it is a it is a respected it's pretty crazy that a movie called jaws, jaws. <laughs> that, that opens with a girl getting you know eaten alive is is one of the most respected uh pieces of american art of the 20th century
0: it's crazy we have the same top two
1: it's a well, it's just a question of order
0: I think we have different orders. That's Probably. my prediction. Probably. Uh, my number two is Schindler's List. Okay.
1: And my number two is Raiders, and my number one is Schindler's List. So.
0: My number one is Raiders. So.
1: Let's talk. Uh, let's talk Schindler's List.
0: All right. Let's do it. I don't know. It's fucking Schindler's List. Man. <laughs> <laughs> what else is there to say? Yeah. Well, we've gone over this quite a bit. It's a. Uh, it's, it's a towering achievement. Um, it's something he had been building to, obviously, for for a long time, and you know he finally had the. He's like, he was ready for it, and uh, it is the best Holocaust World War II movie out there, maybe? Oh, yeah, definitely. But,
1: I mean, what would, what would be... Best the Holocaust movie, maybe. Sophie's best, Choice. Best World War II the movie pianist. Is,
0: is arguable. You know, oh, okay, I see. That.
1: But, yeah, I mean, certainly best best film about the Holocaust with yes. a bullet.
0: yeah. To the extent where people have a hard time even making Holocaust movies anymore, because what's the, what's the what's point? What's the point?
1: Yeah, it's kind of like how he hasn't made a World War II movie since Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the point?
0: Yeah, and you know, you mentioned maybe in the last podcast just the fact that it's so entertaining, given the subject matter, it is its secret sauce.
1: Yeah, I harp on this all the time, so I won't, I won't repeat myself, but or uh, I'll try not to repeat myself. But the, yeah, the movie doesn't work if it's not watchable because the
0: it's not a boring three, minute, three no. and three hour twenty minute movie.
1: No, and the subject matter is obviously so abhorrent that on paper this sounds like it's going to be impossible to sit through. Right? Yeah, he puts you in a place where he tiptoes up to these things. He t- he tiptoes up to the hardest parts of the subject to watch, mm-hmm. but he kind of emotionally prepares you for it, right? Yeah. He doesn't just like drop you right smack dab in the middle of a gas chamber or something, right? Like yeah. he gets you invested, puts you where he needs you to be, takes you there organically, and then yeah, shows you some things that maybe you wish you could unsee, mm-hmm. but ultimately you're better for. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. We 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 didn't talk beforehand about whether this list is favorite versus best. This sure. is always the conundrum we come into, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I kind of just had to combine those those two disciplines. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these two movies are inter- interchangeable for me. Yeah. And, you know, Tune- List is his best. Raiders is probably my favorite. That's, yeah. That's kind of where I come in.
0: Well, down. If, if we're segueing into Raiders, it's, I mean, I think it'd be my Desert Island movie, right? Yeah. Like the movie I enjoy, I've probably seen it more than almost maybe anything else. But certainly, uh, too. Anytime I put it on, it's just the most enjoyable experience you're going to have watching a movie. Yeah. Uh, Front of I mean, just all the set pieces are incredible. There's not a sour note in the thing. Uh, Harrison Ford is the epitome of movie star charisma badassery in this thing. Yep. Um, All the supporting characters are fun and interesting. The the stakes are high. You have a great great Nazi antagonist. And again, an
1: incredible script by Lawrence Kasten.
0: Yeah, great script. And, you know, I love anything that's globetrotting. And this is... Some of the most fun places you'll ever see. It can sustain momentum after the uh, escape from the from the desert, you know. Yeah, even in, yeah into the final business, and then just the horrifying arc opening mm-hmm. into winking fun coda. That is <laughs> sort a, of Citizen Kane inspired, yeah. I guess. It's it's a perfect movie.
1: It is. I would use the same word. I would use that word to describe both of those. Both ones. of those, and honestly, probably even Jaws. Yeah, I think Schindler's List and Raiders of the Lost Ark represent him at his best and they also represent really and Jaws as well these movies represent him challenged with something he doesn't know if he can pull off Yeah, right Raiders of the Lost Ark was him approaching something he hadn't done before and wondering if A he could do this thing on schedule under budget but if he could also sort of approach this more dirty, mm-hmm. run-and-gun, visceral, you know, be able to juggle all this tonal stuff, like is the movie going to be too dark, too supernatural? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be too Saturday matinee, mm-hmm. sort of flippant, um, disposable? You know, he He has glowing things to say about his experience making that movie, but he says that part of the fun of it was that Every single day, he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to pull this off, yeah. right? It was this brand new challenge that his that his buddy Lucas gave him. Mm-hmm. And I think he was invigorated after the, fail, the relative failure of 1941 and also like all the expectations of Close Encounters that he's like, I'm just going to see if I can pull this off. Mm-hmm. And not only did he pull it off, he made one of the greatest films ever made. Schindler's List was something that he had to wait over a decade to do because he literally knew he couldn't pull it off. Like, yeah. <laughs> he knew he wasn't. A, he knew he wasn't a good enough filmmaker yet. And then even when he made it, you get the impression, uh, sort of like watching interviews with him, even seeing some, some of the onset footage, hearing Liam Neeson and Ben Kingsley talk about it. He was—I don't want to use the word "lost," but he was scared throughout that process yeah. and traumatized, and constantly doubting himself and wondering if he's the right man for the job. And you know, obviously weighed down by the um, the responsibility of bringing that subject matter to the screen. And this is a situation where someone who's kind of back on their heels maybe does their best work. Bridge of Spies is a situation where... Too comfortable. He's comfortable. He's got movie star. His family's probably on set with him. He's got all the money in the world to work with. He's got the Coen brothers. I mean, this is all great. All the tools, all the toys, whatever. But I think you could probably look down this list and make the argument that when he's been maybe Saving Private Ryan might be... A situation where he was probably pretty darn comfortable. Although I mean, that the opening, the D-Day sequence, sequence is something that, he, he had never new. attempted before. Yeah, that's so. A lot of his best work can be somewhat categorized by him experimenting, trying something new, Being uh, challenging himself. Yeah, pushing himself to push the medium.
0: I mean, that's what they say. Think, when you're put in a box, that's when you're at your most creative and yeah. do your best work.
1: Yeah, so. yeah. I just think Schindler's List and Raiders of the Lost Ark. They're just they're they're the two examples of him working at the height of his powers and proving that he's capable of something that even he didn't realize he was capable of. Are they potentially the two poles of his, you know, like the ultimate escapist mainstream wide audience film and the ultimate example of his dramatic artistic capability. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there could...
0: question? <laughs> Document by RAN was released on March 21st, 1987. Oh. We gotta keep can that... answer your question? No. <laughs> we gotta keep that in. Alexa's been listening to us.
1: Siri hasn't seen Schindler's List, <laughs> oh I <my> understand. <laughs> when Siri goes to party, she tells people she's seen, she's seen Schindler's List, but she <laughs> actually <fucking> hasn't. liar. <laughs> uh,
0: y- yeah. I mean, it's the two polls. Again, I mean, Raiders gets the edge just because, you know, the favorite versus great. I think they're both perfect, so which one do I enjoy? Watching more, yeah. I guess it's Raiders. Okay, um, but you can't can't go wrong with either, and uh, that's those are our lists. Should we move on to some different things here? Let's do it. All right, we're gonna first do our most overrated Spielberg movie and most underrated Spielberg movie, and I'll go first here. Okay, for my most overrated, I have Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Okay. Uh, just because general public, I, I hear so many people say it's their favorite Indiana Jones movie, which is just fucking insane.
1: <laughs> I don't think well. They're saying favorite, they're not saying best, right? I know this is, again, this sort people, of, like, fuzzy... I think a
0: lot of people mean best, right? Okay. Which is absurd. I don't think that movie holds up all that well. I think the script is lacking compared to Temple of Doom and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Um, and while I still enjoy it, I think it's a really fun movie. Uh, I just think it's it's... Way lesser Indiana Jones. Like I put it on a whole different tier than, than Raiders. Interesting.
1: Temple. It's it's your it's your Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> I I think I guess one of the main reasons I think Temple of Doom is just way better.
1: Well, appropriately enough, I think Temple of Doom is his most underrated. film. Okay. That's what I have. It's so dark and so weird, and again, just like. Talking to my dad about it last night, we we're watching the documentary. He's just like, I really don't like that one. I don't like Kate Capshaw screaming the whole time. Yeah. I can't look when they, when he pulls the heart out. I, I don't like all the bugs and I don't like the monkey brains. And yeah. I get all that stuff, but I think people are focusing on the wrong details. Mm-hmm and I think the fact is everything in that movie is intentional and it's an intentional exercise in purposefully going way over the top and I think that was the point they're like let's push this thing as far as we possibly can Raiders was very uh, very accessible Mm -hmm. very mainstream very kind of hopeful in its own way, very romantic. Like, let's see if we can just push all of these excesses as far as we possibly can. And in that regard, the movie is a really interesting kind of experiment. I agree that it's not 100% successful in everything it tries to do, and I understand why people bristle at it. If you have an issue with Kate Capshaw screaming at the top of her lungs for an hour (laughs) and a half, then I understand how it could potentially be a tough sit. I don't hold against against Kate Capshaw because that's them being like, we had Karen Allen here on one extreme. Yeah. Let's go to the total opposite extreme and find a true damsel in distress, you know, blonde damsel in distress yeah. who literally is going to shriek at the top of her lungs. Like they're doing that on purpose. Not, I don't think that was a choice on Kate Capshaw's
0: part, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I- it's kind of the perfect sequel, well, prequel, perfect follow-up to Raiders of the Lost Ark yes. where you're trying something totally different. Exactly. You're I think not that's the move. To, you're not repeating a formula. Yep. You're just taking this character and putting him in a whole different situation, seeing what happens, and, mm-hmm. and ratcheting up to 11, right? Yep. Um, and that, yeah, that's why it's great. Yeah,
1: I think people need to revisit it in that context. Mm-hmm. So that was my most underrated. What's your most underrated? Uh,
0: Munich. Just by nature, I buy that. Yeah, I just feel it's it's sort of. I mean, like you said, it, it seems to be getting more acclaim as the years go by. Mm-hmm. But still, like I have a number three, and I think I don't think people put it in that top echelon of, of Spielberg. Yeah. Yet.
1: Interesting. Have you? Has it risen for you since we talked about it last? You know, yeah, six I, months ago I, I, or whatever. Yeah, I think
0: I've watched it twice more since oh, then, wow, okay. and I just yeah, it just gets me every time.
1: Yeah, it's really good. All right, my overrated is going to be very controversial. Oh no. I think Jurassic Park is overrated. <laughs>
0: Oh, and we've, like, switched on the on Jurassic Park. Yeah,
1: maybe a little bit. I I mean, don't get me wrong. This is... I adore this movie. Everybody adores this movie. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful film. It's a wonderful experience. It holds up really well. But I think there's a lot of nostalgia and a lot of memberberry Berry stuff going on with the way people yeah. talk about this movie in super-duper superlative tones. I think it looks great. I think it's a lot of fun. And I think Spielberg is really... Especially when you consider the fact that he's doing this right, you know, between Hook and... and Schindler's List, he's working at the top of his game in a lot of respects. I just think that the script is kind of that kept script is kind of lacking, and I feel it's a little clunky. And I feel like it's really there's just a lot of stuff being dumbed down from the book. And I get you're trying to pitch this at a much larger mm-hmm. audience, and Crichton's obviously much darker and more violent or whatever. Yeah. But to me, it's just it's a simplification, a much more complex and interesting story. And a lot of the dialogue I find to be pretty cringy, yeah. and some of the stuff with the kids I find to be kind of tough to watch. And uh, I just think people really are willing to ignore a lot of the faults and the warts in this mm-hmm. thing because what works is transcendent and yep. works really, really well. So I'm not trying to be a nonconformist or to be controversial here, but I do think that Jurassic Park, ever so slightly overrated yeah, I don't know. in the grand scheme.
0: Maybe it's just a mood thing, but the recent viewings I've had of it have been just exemplary. So. It's a, I
1: mean, it's one of those movies that is reliant a lot on... Um, context of yeah. spectating as well like you know we both price in the theater theater three or four times right yeah. and then if you watch it with a bunch of friends in a dorm that could be a lot yeah. of fun for nostalgic purposes if you get a chance to see it on the big screen again you know someplace yeah. where like the sound is amazing i mean i where you're I, 35 and yeah you,
0: it, it gets really stoned sure. and you sit down and watch it with a bunch of friends something like that you Fair know. Enough,
1: yeah yeah <laughs> context um yeah i mean i think the last couple times i watched it i've probably you know sat and and, and watched it on my Computer screen, so not the best way to watch. Not it. at all, but it, it forces it makes you kind of like you end up being a little harder on some of sure. the storytelling clunkiness God, of the performance. David Katt issues. has really
0: been a whipping boy for us. Yeah, like, David, if you're listening, I love Premium Rush.
1: He seems like a really nice guy yeah, too. Yeah. I was watching his interview on that Spielberg documentary. He seems he's very erudite and he's, he seems he seems well, very, a very reason pleasant people like that get a lot of work right for sure they're pleasant to be around and yeah work with. I mean he also contributed to the first Mission Impossible script as well which we haven't talked about oh. so like I mean yeah. the guy has just been involved in so many things that are important to us and yeah one of these days I think we should we should cover Premium Rush on a yeah. spin-off episode or something because
0: maybe David Kep Oeuvre that would ooh. That'd be interesting that would be interesting <laughs> um, maybe he's really good at pumping out B-minus scripts really quickly sure you know, which is a it's a skill it's a
1: very monetizable skill. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, we're going to do uh, we're going to go through some top 5s here. We're going to start with best performance. Uh, top 5 performances. All right, I'll, should I just go through my list? Do Let's it. do it. Unfortunately for Spielberg, pretty much every one of his uh, protagonists is a male.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. The Post, Color Purple, and the mm-hmm. BFG. Yeah. Those are the only ones with female protagonists, yeah. right? That's yeah. Fortunate.
0: So I'm going to cheat a little here and just give my number 5 to the women of the color purple because okay. not a great movie and you know it's whoopi goldberg oprah and uh what's her name margaret avery this is not a great movie and i think sugarland per- express i'm sorry to interrupt yeah, sugarland express. That, that's Express. probably the protagonist yeah, of that yeah. Yeah. yeah that movie is not very good and those women carry that movie they are by far and away the best part of that movie uh, spielberg really kind of shit the bed uh, adapting that property Uh, You can listen to our episode talking about it. It could have been something really, really good, but he Spielbergizes the shit out of something that he probably wasn't uh, qualified to make in the first place.
1: It is interesting that he's talking about doing a Martin Luther King Jr. biopic now, considering that both Color Purple and Amistad are relative. Artistic yeah. failures, right? And, that, and it doesn't mean that a white guy can't make a film with, no. you know, African American protagonists. But there, there does need to come a point where there needs to be a little more self awareness. Yeah, about this and stuff, the fact right?
0: that Selma was kind of beloved and came out recently probably doesn't. He doesn't need to make it. It depends on what the what the point of view is, I suppose.
1: I'm all for making it, and maybe he is the right guy for the job. It is just interesting. He doesn't seem to have kind of like learned anything yeah, from these exactly. two. But I agree. The performance of that movie, particularly Oprah, yeah, like oh. she really doesn't get the credit she deserves for if, if she hadn't gone into into, into Oprah being. In? Talkie, I mean, into, into,
0: if she if Oprah didn't become become Oprah, Oprah yeah. yeah, it is
1: just if in an alternate universe. I think, you know, maybe she's not tradition She doesn't have the traditional look or the traditional body type or whatever it takes to make a m- movie star, but I think she's an underrated actress. Oh, and I've, I've always felt that when she- the couple times she has come back mm-hmm. to the movies, whether it's, you know, Beloved or She's in Selma, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, she's always great. Um,
0: all right. My number four is uh, Richard Dreyfus and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Okay. I just don't think that movie works with a ton of people and his sort of manicness and descent into insanity and. It's awesome and I yeah. uh, you know, maybe Richard Drifts is one of his best best roles.
1: And there's some heavy stuff too with yeah. the with the family, like when he's in the bathtub and he's crying and his son is calling him a crybaby yeah. and Terry Garr is running around. I mean, it gets descends into true Familial melodrama.
0: Number three, I have Robert Shaw in Jaws. That's my number three too. Oh, look at that. <laughs> uh, number two, I have Liam Neeson in Schindler's List. Okay. Number one, I have Daniel Day Lewis.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I just want to preface by saying I didn't include Harrison Ford. I didn't include any I, of Harrison Ford's Indiana Joneses in here because I just think that's it's, it's just a, a different category. It's a Different thing. It's a totally different thing. And you and how are you gonna? I, I'm not sure if I can choose which film I think he's. I mean, he's actually probably the best in Last Crusade because he and yeah. Connery bring out the best in each other but I just can't include him on this I, because I it's I had just, the
0: exact same conversation with myself it's like it doesn't it's, it's, it's indefinable it's bigger than yeah. performance yeah yeah I
1: mean it's the greatest character in a Steven Spielberg film yeah I would say but let's stick to his performances number five is Samantha Morton in uh, Minority Ooh, Report I who like just that. feel like didn't that. get the credit she deserved for it and how do you prepare for that role like know. how do you
0: <laughs> how does an
1: actor prepare for something like that there's no there's no context for it uh, Sean Connery in the uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Sean Connery is such an underrated actor, and it, it makes me so sad that he ended on such his career ended on such a whimper. I mean, his legacy is intact, and he won an Oscar. In
0: but... League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, exactly.
1: Yeah, it just makes me sad. But it's crazy. He's in a lot of ways, he's like he's not unlike Harrison Ford in that he doesn't seem to care much about the craft. No, he's just completely born with instinct, right? Yeah. Like he's an incredibly underrated actor. He totally deserved his Oscar for the Untouchables. He's unbelievable in the last Crusade, even though I know you're not a huge fan. Yeah. Harrison Ford's the same way. Just like he's a fucking carpenter and he just is just he looks like a movie star and he has this charisma and his I mean, he can cry on cue. Like he's yeah. just just born with this stuff. And these guys didn't train, right? Yeah. These guys didn't go to Stella Adler school no, or anything. No. Yeah. Uh, number three is Robert Shaw. He's iconic. Uh, number two is Christian Bale in uh, Empire of the Sun. I like that. And number one is Liam Neeson as Oscar Schindler. You know, he lost the Oscar to Tom Hanks for Philadelphia, who was obviously on a crazy about to go on a crazy run. Mm-hmm. I just think Liam Neeson in, in Schindler's list is one of the greatest performances of all time. I think he's one of the all he's one of the most complex protagonists in the history of cinema. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're putting a lot of weight on that guy's shoulders. He wasn't a big movie star at the time, you know. Yes, yeah. what he's Dark Man at the time. He's done Husbands and Wives. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been around. He's I guess he's done, you know, The Mission. He would have been a recognizable face but certainly not a household name yeah. to just put that entire film on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Yeah. Is all three of them I can't are...
0: imagine the pressure he felt doing that exactly yeah.
1: and the, you gotta do the accent and, mm-hmm. and you're playing a potentially very unlikable character I mean honestly I could put Liam Neeson Ray Fiennes and Ben Kingsley on this list and yeah. feel pretty good about that but we did make an unofficial rule that we're only allowed to we can only represent a film once on each one of these top five lists.
0: Yeah, so. exactly. Let's move on. All right, um, we're going to do top five scores in Spielberg movies, right?
1: Oh, sorry, just real quick. I don't mean to backtrack on performances, but do you know how many acting Oscars have been, how many actors have been nominated on Spielberg's Watch? Oh, nominated. Performances, yeah. Only two of one. Yeah. And they've been in the last five years. Yeah. is Ryan Lance and oh, Day-Lewis. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. So we don't need to, you don't need to rattle off all, all the nominations but you just want to make a guess uh, 10 14 14 okay. yeah
0: you know he's not known as being like an actor's director really no he's
1: not but I think that that's I think he's in that regard he's an underrated actor's director but then
0: again he's known for eliciting amazing ch- uh, child performances right? yes
1: and interestingly <laughs> enough none of his Haley wasn't Haley Osment wasn't nominated crazy, for AI Drew Barrymore and Henry Thomas for yeah. E.T. Christian Bale wasn't for I don't think he's ever you Charlie Corswell Ruby Barnhill oh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> 14 acting Oscars over the mm-hmm. course of his career, and only two of one.
0: Right. Um, you're you're way more into music film scores than I am, so I'm just going to go quickly through this. Do it. Five, E.T., four, Jaws, three, Catch Me If You Can, two, Jurassic Park, number one, Raiders of the Lost Ark.
1: I want to give an honorable mention to Hook.
0: Okay. Hook would have been like <laughs>
1: five and a half for me. But it's pretty hard to work Hook into that. I mean, I just think Hook is, is underrated and is... Potentially the best part of that film, yeah. and I feel gets dismissed and forgotten because of the relative yeah. uh, mediocrity of the movie. So I'm going to go ET, Jurassic Park, Raiders, Empire of the Sun, and Schindler's List.
0: Okay, so That's fair. Schindler's
1: List is not a fun or sexy, no, but it's, it's I I think it might be the the greatest work of John Williams' career. <laughs> I mean, you know, if we want to talk about Star Wars and stuff by all means, but I just to me the ability to um, to put the emotion emotionality of that film into a musical context yeah. just like i can't separate picture from music in that film
0: okay um top five scenes we're gonna do top five scenes top five shots and these this was so fucking hard because it's but fun right pretty fun <laughs> all right so and again
1: we can't no movie can get mentioned twice in the yeah. same top five so
0: all right i'm gonna go with shanghai invasion number five in empire of the sun oh, okay cool i really like that uh the first pre-crime good one number four yeah in
1: Minority Report
0: Minority Report yeah. uh, number three in Schindler's List the uh, evacuation of the ghetto that always Ooh, gets me I love, I love that whole it's sequence it's heavy uh, number two I'm going to do the Raiders of the Lost Ark camp escape helicopter fist fight into car chase so you're counting the I'm uh, counting the, the
1: blowing up of the yeah. plane and then the the truck chase okay yeah. cool
0: um, and then number one I'm going D-Day invasion okay uh, Ryan. good good I'm glad there's
1: not, not crazy amounts of overlap here uh, number five on my list. I'm doing um, Henry Senior finally referring to his son as Indiana oh, okay. at the end of the Last Crusade. <laughs> it just gets me every time. I just I was watching it this morning and tearing up. And just oh, God. it just is, he does this simple little thing where like he's shaking the camera because there's like an earthquake happening because the temple is falling apart. And then as soon as he's as soon as he calls him Indiana, all he does is he just stop shaking the camera, and I get goosebumps. <laughs> just a stupid little thing. And and again, you look at that, and you're just like two of the biggest fucking movie stars of all time, just owning the screen. Yeah. And like, I can't believe I'm I'm watching Indiana Jones and James Bond holding hands, and it's <laughs> just like it's everything comes together for me in that moment. I'm a softie. Anyway, uh, number four, I have "Smile, You Son of a Bitch" from the End of Jaws. Oh, okay. Just love it. Yep. Uh, it's a really really exciting climax. Number three, I have Omaha Beach from. Saving Private Ryan. Number two from Schindler's List, I have the climactic scene, uh, which I'm calling, I could have saved more, more. where he just breaks down in Ben Kingsley's arms. It's just like, wow, you have fucking earned this moment, Spielberg. (laughs) You and Mr. Neeson, you have brought us to this place and you have 100% earned this moment Mm -hmm. and the greatest scene of the man's career from my money is the um, prologue from Raiders of the Lost Sure, the opening scene up up through honestly I was going to say up through the boulder but no let's just go up through the plane taking off you know like him snake in the plane yeah him you know swinging with the vine and getting on the plane and taking off when John Williams music swelling it's just like it sort of taught me in that moment the first time I saw it like this is what I'm going to obsess over for the rest of my life like yeah. this is this is the art form this is for me right no, here <laughs> no setup just cold open it's yeah.
0: so fucking good it's it's yeah
1: it's the greatest cold open of all time and i think it's the greatest scene of the man's career mm-hmm. it just it says everything you need to know about this guy's approach i feel like you could just you know set an alien down in front of this thing if you want to explain steven spielberg <laughs> in one minute sequence and that sums it up for me
0: all right, top five shots. Um, this will be interesting. Um, I'm going to do number five. Uh, there's the in Munich. There's the one shot uh, setting up the geography for the, the the phone bomb in Paris. In Paris, yeah. Yep. So it's it's just a virtuosic shot where it goes from each guy up to the window back down geography um,
1: geography geography yeah
0: and there, there are a number of scenes in munich like that and it's just yes.
1: with such economy too
0: yeah. um number four i'm gonna do the uh, the jaws uh zoom focus we call it
1: yeah i reverse zoom reverse some people zoom. call it a zolly yeah, yeah. you know the, the compression shot
0: iconic as it gets yeah number three jurassic park cup of water yeah <laughs> can't beat that sure uh number two i'm gonna go with uh writers cold open uh bag of sand Oh, okay. Yeah. So There's so many moments in that small sequence where you're just like fucking with the bag of sand a little bit and it's not like a perfect thing, but it's good enough.
1: Are you talking about the shot through the sand when you're looking at the idol, where you've got the sand in the foreground? Yeah. Yeah. That was on my short list too. So good.
0: Um, And then number one, you know, a lot of people think of E.T., the bike over the moon, as like the iconic Spielberg shot. Yeah. I think to me, the one that always sticks out is Close Encounters. Kid opening, opening the, the door. door. Yeah. That's my number
1: one. Yeah, that's a good one. That was that just barely missed my list. But you're right. That is truly iconic. I did E.T. and Elliott Bike Past the Moon for number five. Yeah. From Close Encounters, I actually chose Francois Truffaut's face. Ooh. For a number of reasons. One, Spielberg is famous for the Spielberg face, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what the Spielberg face is. There's all sorts of uh, video essays you can yep. find on YouTube that are all about the Spielberg face, right? Yep. And I was trying to figure out what my favorite Spielberg face was, and for some reason I landed on Truffaut because I was there was something meta about that moment. It's almost like you're watching the godfather of the French New Wave movement yeah. anoint <laughs> like the the Vunderkind of the new Hollywood I like remember, the, right?
0: I like the metatextualness of your rankings. Which, which is, you know,
1: maybe I'm getting way too no, deep great. in the weeds here, but it just, you look at that moment, you're like, you got Francois Truffaut who has no business being in a quote-unquote spect- you know Steven <laughs> yeah. Spielberg film, and yet he's respectful enough of the guy based on Jaws, right? I mean, what did he made at that point? Jaws, Duel, and Sugar Land Express? Yeah. I mean, you have to imagine that, I don't know, maybe Francois Truffaut had seen Duel, <laughs> but Definitely. you have to imagine he's mostly, he's basing most of this on Jaws, and the fact that he's, A in that movie B playing a guy just a (laughs) character he's not playing a film he's just playing a scientist dude he's just like part of this you know part of this investigation and stuff he's a wonderful actor but just the idea of somebody coming from this European movement Mm -hmm. and coming over here and being an American film and in that regard like validating this Mm -hmm. kind of mainstream American filmmaking I just find it to be so moving the idea that Spielberg didn't even necessarily know he was creating the quote-unquote Spielberg face at the time, but he's focusing on one of the greatest one of the greatest French directors ever. I mean, it's just the meta implications of that moment I find to be overwhelming. Number 3 for me is Brody on the beach mm-hmm. with the uh compression shot. Number 2 for me is uh Indiana Jones steps into the light sure. at the beginning after he's pulled out the whip for the first time. It's it's my favorite character introduction. It's either that or you know Sean Connery saying Bond, James Bond, in <laughs> <and laughs> Doctor No, right? And then my number one shot in the history of Steven Spielberg's career is Oscar Schindler enjoying a cigarette. This for me, it's it's just it's it's like him finding a new gear where he's just like you've thought of me as a certain way for the you know since 1971 and and. I've been an artist this entire time. You guys just didn't know it until now, you know. Like it's and it's him and Yanush Kaminsky sort of realizing that they're kindred spirits mm-hmm. all at once. To me it's just the most beautiful image from from thirty two films. And uh and again one of the all time great character introductions. Yeah. You know, it's really the first time you see the guy's face. So it's just a beautiful thing.
0: Matt <laughs> we're done.
1: Yeah, I guess we are. We're fucking done. We do need to wrap this up. I mean, we don't need to get too highfalutin about this all, but do you have any Final revelations.
0: These 32 films taken as a whole, it's it's extremely impressive. Uh, the level of masterpiece, but also sort of the squishy middle of this list, are all really interesting, good movies.
1: Instructive texts, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: You know, besides, you know, our bottom three are, are one's an adaptation, going for a kids movie, two are sequels that are more or less cash grabs. Yeah. But almost everything else, at least, has something. To grab onto, even if it's part of his lesser work. And there's always a humanity to it. There's always a passion to it. The sort of jumping around in genres, seeing all the different gears this guy has. Just the technical proficiency throughout and his ability to evolve with the times. Yeah. Keep evolving. Keep growing. Keep experimenting. Experimenting. I mean, just the ability to try new things, you know, Munich... Schindler's List, Ready Player 1, like it's 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 just an impressive look at someone who's curious, who loves to work, who doesn't he's not given up, never never settling down and I'm not sure we'll ever see like a as diverse and impressive a filmography as this from any of our any of our greats anytime soon.
1: Yeah, I mean it sounds so kind of like obvious slash cliche to just say this is maybe the greatest filmmaker in the history of the medium i mean that there's there's nothing there's nothing particularly exciting about that opinion and i'm not even necessarily saying we need to agree with or disagree with that as a potentiality i mean if you you needed to personify the medium with one Mm -hmm. human's face you know if you needed to as the adage goes um look up filmmaker in the dictionary what face should you see you should see the face of American filmmaker Steven Spielberg, who is not just the most like commercially, you know, financially successful, but has kind of proven all of the quote unquote haters wrong over and over and over again over yeah. the course of a incredibly diverse filmography. Yeah, you know, like he's Oscars... defined, uh,
0: live long enough to become the villain. That, you know, <laughs> he really has.
1: Well, you know, if we'd done this series twelve years ago or something, right? Oh, yeah. I feel like even after Schindler's List, I mean there's even people who thought Schindler's List was kind of a fluke, right? Even up through Saving Private Ryan. Like I feel like if you'd done this at the turn of the century, you might have been like, well, he gave us Schindler's List, he gave us Saving Private Ryan, he started DreamWorks, whatever. Like clearly the guy has you know, he's clearly talented yeah. and he can he can he can um he can touch a very wide audience, but isn't he still just kind of like isn't he still just kind of like all about manipulation and simplicity, or, you know? And he is like transcended all of the potential hurdles over the course of his career, yeah. right? And he's just continued to defy and defy and defy expectation. Huge successes, but also failures. I mean, ultimately, DreamWorks is kind of in its own way failed experiment, sure. right? We could, we could dedicate an entire series just to that company. Throughout all of this, he's managed to just reinvent, 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 remain relevant. Yeah. Right? His
0: comeback ability, you know, even after Crystal Skull recently, he seems to have a good... Perspective on his failures, yeah, and that he's not very reactionary to him. He's gonna keep trying. He's gonna keep doing his thing, yeah. and not really be uh, swerve based on sort of public sentiment on his latest thing. It's right? a good
1: word. He doesn't overcorrect. Yeah, he doesn't overcompensate. Yeah. He just tow- kind of toes the line and just gets passionate about something and just pursues it. Mm -hmm. You know, like if something lands on his desk, you know, crosses his transom, if you will, Mm -hmm. he can pursue it and he can bring stories to the screen on a scale that pretty much nobody else in the entertainment industry can. You know, with the exception maybe of your James Camerons, but he's he's interested in much different subject matter. You know, James Cameron's not going to make a post or a Bridge Spies or an Amistad, for example, right?
0: No, I think, you know, our top two movies... Uh, Schindler's List and Raiders of the Lost Ark are pretty telling, right? Yeah, you probably won't find a great filmmaker whose best two movies are so such polar opposites. Yes. right. I mean, if you look at our, who are our great living directors, right? I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson. His he has a kind of movie he makes. Yeah, more or less.
1: Like even Scorsese. If you looked at, I don't know, Silence and Goodfellas. Or yeah, they're not. I mean, they're they're certainly different, but they're not like polar opposites the yep. way that Schindler's List and Raiders of Lost Ark are
0: exactly put a name out there and you know there's there's a through line there but you know like I said you could put an alien down and show them those two movies and they would not imagine that the same person was capable of doing both
1: yeah and yet still I think falls under the heading of auteur like yep. I still would use the A word to describe him many harsher critics would not and do not and I think that that's uh I think the man deserves to refer to as an auteur because I think he has built he has built a library and he has built a, a recognizable aesthetic yeah right and he has taught and inspired generations of filmmakers <laughs> I mean even your Paul Thomas Anderson is yeah. the world right like it's hard to look at Paul Thomas Anderson's work and see a lot of Spielberg influence but you hear Paul Thomas Anderson talk about him yeah. and he's like I steal stuff from him all the time like of course he's the one who made you yeah. know made me want to become a filmmaker yeah. first time I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, Steven Soderbergh Put a couple of years ago, put this um, video on his website, which I'm sure you watched, mm-hmm. which was Raiders in black and white yeah. with no sound, just the social network score, right? Yeah, yeah. And his 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 thing, his thought was that you can learn more just by watching the visual approach, the staging mm-hmm. from Raiders of the Lost Ark than you can studying filmmaking for years. Like it's it's incredible to watch artists, athletes, you know, people who. We're born to do something. We're lucky enough to find it, yep. and then have just perfected it, <laughs> yep. basically, right? And but you only know that if they occasionally fail, right? You yep. need to you need to be able to see that. You know, you need to be able to contrast mm-hmm. by by seeing that they are still human. Yeah, yeah, right.
0: And yeah, God bless him for working so steadily when he hasn't had to. His output is for for a great auteur, super super impressive. All right, no more filibustering, Matt.
1: Alright, you wanna announce the uh, you wanna announce the next series
0: that's the, coming up? This is this is all this is our second oeuvre. We're it's doing time a time to move oeuvre. On. I guarantee no one would have predicted this. <laughs> uh, but we're gonna do the great John McTiernan. It's
1: gonna be a shorter series. that's part of the reason that we chose him because we wanted to kinda like mow through something we could yeah. do in a couple months. We're gonna watch Nomads, Predator, Die Hard, The Hunt for Red October, Medicine Man, Last Action Hero, Die Hard of Vengeance, The Thirteenth Warrior, The Thomas Crown Affair, Rollerball, and Basic. And we recommend that you do the same and keep up with us. And uh, by all means, if you have thoughts about Spielberg, about McTiernan, about anything at all, don't hesitate to reach out, wlmpodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear from you, and we appreciate you listening. As we round the corner into our ninth year on the way to a decade of We Like Movies and closing in on 300 episodes, we thought it might be a good time to talk about donations. If you felt so inclined, perhaps consider visiting the donation page at www.welikemovies.com and help us out with a small ovation. Anything you'd be willing to contribute would help us offset the cost of seeing upwards of 100 movies in theaters per year, as well as the expense of maintaining the site. We're not looking to get rich off this podcast, and we certainly don't do it for the money, but any assistance you'd be willing to provide lessens the financial strain of producing the content we're committed to providing you with. Thank you so much for your continued patron. 2019 is going to be our biggest year yet, and we're so excited to have you with us. Thanks again.